A Good Woman by Arnold Bennett. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Good Woman, a farce by Arnold Bennett. Characters: James Brett, a clerk in the War Office, thirty-three. Read by Matt Perard. Gerald O'Mara, a civil engineer, twenty-four. Read by John Fricker. Rosamund Fife, a spinster and a lecturer on cookery, twenty-eight. Read by Christine G. Narrated by Todd. Scene: Rosamund's flat, the drawing room. The apartment is plainly furnished. There is a screen in the corner of the room furthest from the door. It is nine a.m. Rosamund is seated alone at a table. She wears a neat traveling dress with a plain straw hat. Her gloves lie on a chair. A small portable desk full of papers is open before her. She gazes straight in front of her, smiling vaguely. With a start, she recovers from her daydreams, and rushing to the looking glass, inspects her features therein. Then she looks at her watch. Three hours yet? I'm a fool. She sits down again and idly picks up a paper out of the desk. The door opens unceremoniously but quietly, and James enters. The two stare at each other, James wearing a conciliatory smile. You appalling creature! I couldn't help it. I simply couldn't help it. Do you know, this is the very height and summit of indelicacy. I was obliged to come. If I had any relations... Which you haven't. I said if I had any relations. I say which you haven't. Never mind. It is a safe rule for unattached women always to behave as if they had relations especially female relations, whether they are have any or not. My remark is that if I had any relations, they would be absolutely scandalized by this atrocious conduct of yours. What have I done? Can you ask? Here are you, and here am I. We are to be married today at twelve o'clock. The ceremony has not taken place, and yet you are found in my premises. You must surely be aware that on the day of the wedding the parties, yes, the parties, that is the word, should on no account see each other till they see each other in church. But since we are to be married at a registry office, does this rule apply? Undoubtedly. Then I must apologize. My excuse is that I am not up in these minute details of circumspection. You see, I have been married so seldom. Evidently. A pause, during which James at last ventures to approach the middle of the room. Now, you must go back home, and we'll pretend we haven't seen each other. Never, Rosamond. That would be acting a lie, and I couldn't dream of getting married with a lie on my lips. It would be so unusual. No, we have sinned, or rather, I have sinned, on this occasion. I will continue to sin, openly, brazenly. Come here, my dove. A bird in the hand is worth two under a bushel. He assumes an attitude of entreaty, and leaving her chair, Rosamond goes towards him. They exchange an ardent kiss. Quietly submissive. I'm awfully busy, you know, Jim. I will assist you in your little duties, dearest, and then I will accompany you to the sacred ed, to the registry office. Now, what were you doing? She sits down, and he puts a chair for himself close beside her. You are singularly unlike yourself this morning, dearest. Nervous tension, my angel. 
i should have deemed it impossible that an employee of the war office could experience the marvellous and exquisite sensations now agitating my heart but tell me what are you doing with these papers well i was just going to look through them and see if they contained anything of remarkable or valuable nature you see i hadn't anything to occupy myself with was you bored waiting for the timey me to come hands caressing his little pet was bored she was was mr pet lonely this morning couldn't he keep away from his little kooky lecturer you should see his little kooky lecturer and that reminds me hadn't we better lunch in the train instead of at willis's that will give us more time horrid greedy piggy wiggy perhaps you will be satisfied if mrs pet agrees to lunch both at willis and in the train yes only piggy wiggy doesn't want to trespass on mrs pet's good nature let piggy wiggy look at the papers he takes up a paper from the desk no jimmy i don't think we'll go through them perhaps it wouldn't be wise just let's destroy them takes papers from his hand and drops them in desk when you have been the wife of a war office clerk for a week you will know that papers ought never to be destroyed now i come to think it is not only my right but my duty to examine this secret dossier who knows takes up at random another document which proves to be a postcard reads shall i come to-morrow night thine gerald after a startled shriek of consternation first time she begins to think with knitted brows does this highly suspicious postcard point to some some episode in your past of which you have deemed it advisable to keep me in ignorance if so i seek not to inquire i forgive you i take you rosamond as you are reflective not heeding his remark i had absolutely forgotten the whole affair absolutely smiles a little aside suppose he should come to james Jim, I think I had better tell you all about Gerald. It will interest you. Besides, there is no knowing what may happen. As I have said, I seek not to inquire. Stiffly. Nor do I imagine that this matter, probably some childish entanglement, would interest me. Oh, wouldn't it? Jim, don't be absurd. You know perfectly well you are dying to hear. Very well. Save my life. Then at the least expense of words. To begin with, who is this Gerald? Thine, thine own Gerald. Don't you remember Gerald O'Mara? You met him at the Stokes, I feel sure. You know, the young engineer. Oh, that ass. He isn't an ass. He's a very clever boy. For the sake of argument and dispatch, agreed. Went out to Cyprus or somewhere, didn't he? To build a bridge or make a dock or dig a well or something of that kind. Nodding. Now listen, I'll tell you all about it settles herself for a long narration four years ago poor dear gerald was madly in love with me he was twenty and i was twenty-four keep calm i feel like his aunt don't forget i was awfully pretty in those days well he was so tremendously in love that in order to keep him from destroying himself of course i knew he was going out to cyprus i sort of pretended to be sympathetic I simply had to. Irishmen are so passionate. And he was very nice. And I barely knew you then. Well, the time approached for him to leave for Cyprus. And two days before the ship sailed, he sent me that very postcard that by pure chance you picked up. 
he should have written a letter oh i expect he couldn't wait he was so impulsive well on the night before he left england he came here and proposed to me i remembered i was awfully tired and queer i had been giving a lecture in the afternoon on how to pickle pork and the practical demonstration had been rather smelly however the proposal brecked me up it was the first i had had that year well i was so sorry for him that i couldn't say no outright it would have been too brutal he might have killed himself on the spot and spoiled this carpet which by the way was new then so i said look here gerald you called him gerald rather look here gerald i said you're going to cyprus for four years if your feeling towards me is what you think it is come back to me at the end of those four years and i will then give you an answer of course i felt absolutely sure that in the intervening period he would fall in and out of love half a dozen times at least of course half a dozen times at least probably seven what did he say in reply he agreed with all the seriousness in the world on this day four years hence he said standing just there pointing i will return for your answer and in the meantime i will live only for you that was what he said his very words and a most touching speech too and then we shook hands and he tore himself away stifling a sob don't forget he was a boy have the four years expired what is the date of that postcard let me see it snatches it and smiles at the handwriting pensively july fourth four years ago then it's over he's not coming to-day is july fifth but yesterday was sunday he wouldn't come on sunday he was always very particular and nice do you mean to imply that you think he will come to-day and demand from you an affirmative a moment ago you gave me to understand that in your opinion he would have mm, other affairs to attend to yes i did think so at the time but now now i have a kind of idea that he may come that after all he may have remained faithful you know i was maddeningly pretty then and he had my photograph tell me have you corresponded no i expressly forbade it ah but still i have a premonition he may come assuming a pugnacious pose if he does i will attend to him gerald was a terrible fighter a resounding knock is heard at the door both start violently and look at each other in silence rosamond goes to the door and opens it <laughs> only the postman with a letter she returns to her seat no i don't expect he will come really puts letter idly on table another knock still louder renewed start now that is he i am positive he always knocked like that just fancy after four years jim just take the chair behind the screen for a bit i must hide you no thanks the screen dodge is a trifle too frayed at the edges only for a minute it would be such fun no thanks another knock with forced sweetness oh very well then oh well of course if you take it in that way he proceeds to a chair behind screen which does not however hide him from the audience smiles his reward i'll explain it all right come in enter gerald o'mara so you are in hastens across room to shake hands oh yes i am in gerald how are you i must say you look tolerably well 
they sit down oh i'm pretty fit thanks had the most amazing time in spite of the climate and you rosie you haven't changed a little bit how's the cookery trade getting along are you still showing people how to concoct french dinners out of old bones and a sardine tin certainly only i can do it without bones now you see the science was progressed while you've been stagnating in cyprus stagnating is the word you wouldn't believe that climate what not had nice weather what a shame i thought it was tremendously sunshiny in cyprus yes that's just what it is ninety-seven degrees in the shade when it doesn't happen to be pouring with malarial rain we started a little golf club at nicosia and laid out a nine-hole course but the balls used to melt so we had to alter the rules keep the balls in an ice-box and take a fresh one at every hole think of that my poor boy but i suppose there were compensations you referred to an amazing time yes there were compensations and that reminds me i want you to come out and lunch with me at the savoy i've got something awfully important to ask you in fact that's what i've come for sorry i can't gerald the fact is i've got something awfully important myself just about lunch-time oh yours can wait look here i've ordered the lunch i made sure you'd come rosamund shakes her head why can't you it's not cooking is it only a goose what goose well my own and somebody's else listen gerald had you not better ask me this awfully important question now no time like the present i can always talk easier especially on delicate topics with a pint of something handy but if you positively won't come i'll get it off my chest now the fact is rosie i'm in love with whom ah that's just what i want you to tell me suddenly starting gerald what is that dreadful thing sticking out of your pocket and pointing right at me that that's my revolver always carry them in cyprus you know plenty of sport there breathing again kindly take it out of your pocket and put it on the table then if it goes off it will go off into something less valuable than a cookery lecture laughingly obeying her <laughs> there if anything happens it will happen to the screen now rosie i'm in love and i desire that you should tell me whom i'm in love with there's a magnificent girl in cyprus daughter of the superintendent of police name evelyn age nineteen i tell you i was absolutely gone on her symptoms well uh, whenever her name was mentioned i blushed terrifically of course that was only one symptom then i met a girl on the home steamer no father or mother an orphan you know awfully interesting name madge nice name isn't it rosamund nods i don't mind telling you i was considerably struck by her still am in fact symptoms oh let me see i never think of her without turning absolutely pale i suppose it's what they call pale with passion notice it somewhat coldly it seems to me the situation amounts to this there are two girls one is named evelyn and the thought of her makes you blush the other is named march and the thought of her makes you turn pale you fancy yourself in love and you wish me to decide for you whether it is march or evelyn who agitates your breast the more deeply that's not exactly the way to put it rosie you take a fellow up too soon of course i must tell you lots more yet 
you should hear evelyn play the moonlight sonata it's the most marvellous thing and then madge's eyes the way that girl can look at a fellow i'm telling you all these things you know rosie because i've always looked up to you as an elder sister after a pause during which she gazes into his face i suppose it was in my character of your elder sister that you can put a certain question to me four years ago last night staggered pulls himself together for a great resolve after a long pause rosie i never thought afterwards you'd take it seriously i forgot it all i was only a boy then but i see clearly now i never could withstand you it's all rot about evelyn and madge it's you i'm in love with and i never guessed it rosie rushes to her and impetuously flings his arms around her neck james who during the foregoing scene has been full of uneasy gestures leaping with incredible swiftness from the shelter of a screen sir pushing gerald quickly away gerald may i inquire sir what is the precise significance of this attitudinizing gerald has scarcely yet abandoned his amorous pose but now does so quickly are we in the middle of a scene from romeo and juliet or is this the nine thirty a m in the nineteenth century if miss fife had played the moonlight sonata to you or looked at you as madge does there might perhaps have been some shadow of an excuse for your extraordinary and infamous conduct but since she has performed neither of these feats of skill i fail to grasp i say i fail to grasp mm. slowly recovering from an amazement which has rendered him mute rosie a man concealed in your apartment but perhaps it's the piano tuner i am willing to believe the best let me introduce mr james brett my future husband jim this is gerald i have gathered as much the men bow stiffly poor poor gerald her tone is full of feeling james is evidently deeply affected by it he walks calmly and steadily to the table and picks up the revolver sir that tool is mine sir the fact remains that it is an engine of destruction and that i intend to use it rosamond the tone in which you utter those three words poor poor gerald convinces me a keen observer of symptoms that i no longer possess your love without your love life to me is meaningless i object to anything meaningless even a word i shall therefore venture to deprive myself of life good-bye to gerald sir i may see you later raises the revolver to his temples appealing to gerald to interfere gerald mr brett i repeat that that revolver is mine it would be a serious breach of good manners if you used it without my consent a social solecism of which i believe you as a friend of miss fyfe's to be absolutely incapable still as the instrument happens to be in your hand you may use it but not on yourself have the goodness sir to aim at me i could not permit myself to stand in the way of another's happiness as i should do if i continued to exist at the same time i have conscientious objections to suicide you will therefore do me a service by aiming straight above all things don't hit miss fyfe i merely mention it because i perceive that you are unaccustomed to the use of firearms folds his arms rosamond do you love me my jim the possessive pronoun convinces me that you do smiling blandly sir i will grant you your most reasonable demand aims at gerald i don't love you if you shoot gerald but my dear this is irrational he has asked me to shoot him and i have as good as promised to do so james in two hours we are to be married think of the complications married 
Today? Then I withdraw my request. Yes, perhaps it will be as well. Lowers revolver. I have never yet knowingly asked a friend, even an acquaintance, to shoot me on his wedding day, and I will not begin now. Moreover, now I come to think of it, the revolver wasn't loaded. Mr. Brett, I inadvertently put you in a ridiculous position. I apologize. I accept the apology. The general tension slackens. Both the men begin to whistle gently, in an effort after unconcern. Jim, will you oblige me by putting that revolver down somewhere? I know it isn't loaded, but so many people have been killed by guns that weren't loaded that I should feel safer. He puts it down on the table. Thank you. Picking up letter. By the way, here's that letter that came just now. Aren't you going to open it? The writing seems to me to be something like Lottie Dickinson's. Taking the letter. It isn't Lottie's. It's her sister. Stares at envelope. I know what it is. I know what it is. Lottie is ill, or dead, or something, and can't come and be a witness at the wedding. I'm sure it's that. Now, if she's dead, we can't be married today. It wouldn't be decent. And it's frightfully unlucky to have a wedding postponed. Oh, but there isn't a black border on the envelope, so she can't be dead. And yet, perhaps, it was so sudden they hadn't time to buy morning stationery. This is the result of your coming here this morning. I felt sure something would happen. Didn't I tell you so? No, you didn't, my dear. But why don't you open the letter? I am opening it as fast as I can. Reads it hurriedly. There, I said so. Lossie fell off her bicycle last night and broke her ankle. Won't be able to stir for a fortnight. In great pain. Hopes it won't inconvenience us. Inconvenience? I must say I regard it as very thoughtless of Lottie, to go bicycling the very night before our wedding. Where did she fall off? Sloan Street. That makes it positively criminal. She always falls off in Sloan Street. She makes a regular practice of it. I have noticed it before. Perhaps she did it on purpose. Not a doubt of it. She doesn't want us to get married. I have sometimes suspected that she had a certain tenderness for me. Endeavoring to look meek. The cat! By no means. Cats are never sympathetic. She is. Let us be just before we are jealous. Jealous? My dear James, have you noticed how her skirts hang? Hang her skirts. You wish to defend her? On the contrary. It was I who first accused her. Gerald, to avoid the approaching storm, seeks the shelter of the screen, sits down, and taking some paper from his pocket, begins thoughtfully to write. My dear James, let me advise you to keep quite, quite calm. You're a little bit upset. I am a perfect cucumber, but I can hear you breathing. If you are a cucumber, you're a very indelicate cucumber. I'm not breathing more than is necessary to sustain life. Yes, you are. And what's more, you'll cry in a minute. If you don't take care, you're getting worked up. No, I shan't! Sits down and cries. What did I tell you? Now perhaps you will inform me what we are quarrelling about, because I haven't the least idea. Through her sobs. I don't think it's horrid of Lottie. We can't be married with one witness, and I didn't want to be married at a registry office at all. My pet, we can easily get another witness. As for the registry office, it was yourself who proposed it. As a way out of a difficulty, I'm high, and you're low. I'm not low, I'm broad, or else evangelical. Beginning calmly again. I'm high, 
and your broad, and there was a serious question about candles and genuflection, and so we decided on the registry office, which, after all, is much cheaper. Drying her tears, and putting on a saintly expression. Well, anyhow, James, we will consider our engagement at an end. This extraordinary tiff has lasted long enough, Rosie. Come and be kissed. With increased saintliness. You mistake me, James. I am not quarrelling. I am not angry. Then you have ceased to love me? I adore you passionately. But we can never marry. Do you not perceive the warnings against such a course? First of all, you come here, drawn by some mysterious sinister impulse, in breach of all etiquette. That was a sign. A sign of what? Evil. Then you find that postcard to remind me of a forgotten episode. Damn the postcard. I wish I'd never picked it up. Hush. Then comes his letter about Lottie. Damn that, too. Then Gerald arrives. Damn him, too. By the way, where is he? Coming out from behind the screen. Sir, if you want to influence my future state by means of a blasphemous expletive, let me beg you to do it when ladies are not present. There are certain prayers which should only be uttered in the smoking-room. The two men stab each other with their eyes. I respectfully maintain, Mr. O'Mara, that you had no business to call on my future wife within three hours of her wedding, and throw her into such a condition of alarm and unrest that she doesn't know whether she is going to get married or not. Sir, how in the name of heaven was I to guess— Stop! Rising, with an imperative gesture. Sit down, both. James? Who hesitates? This is the last request I shall ever make of you. He sits. Let me speak. Long ago, from a mistaken motive of kindness, I gave this poor boy— Pointing to Gerald. To understand that I loved him. That any rate I should love him in time. Supported by that assurance, he existed for four years through the climate and terrors of a distant isle. I, pampered with all the superfluities of civilization, forgot his noble youth in his exile. I fell selfishly in love. I promised to marry, while he, with nothing to assure the rigors— Pardon me, there was Evelyn's moonlight sonata, not to mention Madge's eyes. You jest, James, but the jest is untimely. Has he not himself said that these doubtless excellent young women were in fact nothing to him, that it was my image which he kept steadfastly in his heart? Yes, of course, Rosie. Chiefly to James. The sight of this poor youth fills me with sorrow and compunction and shame, for it reminds me that four years ago I lied to him. It was awfully good of you, you know. That is beside the point. At an early period of this unhappy morning, James, you asseverated that you could not dream of getting married with a lie on your lips. Neither can I. James, I love you to madness. Takes his inert hand, shakes it, and drops it again. Good-bye, James. Henceforth we shall be strangers. My duty is towards Gerald. But if you love him— With a good woman, conscience comes first, love second. In time I shall learn to love you. I was always quick at lessons. Gerald, take me. It is the only way by which I can purge my lips of the lie uttered four years ago. Puts her hands on Gerald's shoulders. In about three-quarters of an hour you will regret this, Rosamund Fife. One never regrets a good action. Oh, well, I say— Inarticulate with embarrassment. After a pause. James, we are waiting. What for? For you to go. Don't mind me. 
You forget that I am in the war office and accustomed to surprising situations. Look here, Rosie. It's awfully good of you, and you're doing me a frightfully kind turn, but I can't accept it, you know. It won't do. Kindness spoils my character. Yes, and think of the shock to the noble youth. I couldn't permit such a sacrifice. To a good woman, life should be one long sacrifice. Yes, that's all very well, and I tell you, Rosie, I'm awfully obliged to you. Of course, I'm desperately in love with you. That goes without saying. But I also must sacrifice myself. The fact is, there's Madge. Well? Well, you know what a place a steamer is, especially in calm, warm weather. I'm afraid I've rather led her to expect... The fact is, while you and Mr. Brett were having your little discussion just now, I employed the time in scribbling out a bit of a letter to her, and I rather fancy that I've struck one or two juiced good ideas in the proposal line. How's this for a novelty? My dear Miss Madge, you cannot fail to have noticed from my behaviour in your presence that I admire you tremendously. Rather a neat beginning, eh? But you said you loved me. Oh, well, so I do. You see, I only state that I admire her. All the same, I feel I'm sort of bound to her. You see how I'm fixed. I should much prefer, of course. To a good man, life should be one long sacrifice. Exactly, sir. Steadying herself and approaching James. Jim, my sacrifice is over. It was a terrible ordeal. And nothing but a strict sense of duty could have supported me through such a trying crisis. I am yours. Lead me to the altar. I trust Gerald might be happy with this person named Marge. The flame of your love has not faltered? Ah, no. Well, if my own particular flame hadn't been fairly robust, the recent draughts might have knocked it about a bit. You have no more sacrifices in immediate view. She looks at him in a certain marvelous way, and he suddenly swoops down and kisses her. To the altar. March. Dash. We shall want another witness. Couldn't I serve? You sure it wouldn't be too much for your feelings? I should enjoy it. I mean, I shan't mind very much. Let us therefore start. If we're too soon, you can watch the process at work on others, and learn how to comport yourselves. By the way, honeymoon? Paris. Charing Cross, one thirty. Dine at Dover. Then you shall eat lunch I have ordered at the Savoy. Eh. Uh. Talking of lunch, as I am hostess here, perhaps I should ask you men if you'd like a drink. Looking hopefully at each other. Well, well yes. yes. I have some beautiful lemonade. Still looking at each other, but with a different expression. Oh, oh that, that would be, be delightful. delightful. Lemonade and glasses produced. I drink to the happy pair. A little sinister. And I to Madge. And I to a good woman. Mrs. Pett. Looking at her fixedly. All men like a good woman. But she shouldn't be too good. It's a strain on the system. General consumption of lemonade. The men bravely swallowing it down. Rosamond rests her head on James's shoulder. It occurs to me, Gerald, you only ordered lunch for two at the Savoy. Well, that's right. By that time, you and James, if I may call him so, will be one. And me makes two. Curtain. End of A Good Woman. By Arnold Bennett.